evening and welcome to the Laughing Monkey Music Show. We have Steve Conti on. How are you doing today, man? I'm just fantastic. I got my melody maker here. I'm in my very dark studio called the House of Ziggy in the Bronx, New York. And, uh, you know, knock wood, I'm healthy and uh, safe and well, pseudo sane. You have a lot of going on with you. You are a solo artist. You have been in the New York Dolls. You have done a bunch of different projects. You have something coming up that you're going to share. Mm-hmm. Let's start earlier on with some of your earlier solo and some of your learning, beginning guitar into the world, mixed, starting off then. Okay, let's kind of jump in there sure, somewhere. Sure. Uh, you want me to dive right in? Or you want to ask me? Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Just how you feel. It's, it's your Well, song. you know, uh, you asked me first about the Dolls and, of course, yeah, like yeah, I, yeah. Like I mentioned to you, I've done many things way before the dolls and many things since the dolls. But uh, I think the the important thing about me being with the dolls was when I first started playing. Now, I, I later on in life, I took lessons from like some jazz guys and I learned a lot of stuff. And but you know, when I first started, I was like learning out of these crappy little books that just taught you like you know, twinkle twinkle little star. Like a Hal Leonard type of things? Or, you yeah, know, even... even worse than that. I, I have them around here somewhere. I just found them like Mother's Attic. Did you? <laughs> yeah, I still have them all. Uh, I don't know why I hold on to them. You might I just need to read refresh yourself. Like fourth, you, might... you know, they're like a fourth grade level, you know. But uh, as soon as I, I took one lesson from a guy at a, at a music store where I used to buy my guitars in Red Bank, New Jersey, called Red Bank Music. Mm-hmm. And I took one lesson from, or a couple lessons from this guy, Bob Nolan, and uh, who I think has passed away, unfortunately, but he taught me the blues scale. Mm-hmm. And he taught me some Chuck Berry thing. And that was it. I mean, I'd already loved Chuck Berry. And I went home and taught myself Johnny Be Good. And after that, it was no more books, no more lessons. <laughs> Everything was by ear. I taught myself, you know, from Chuck Berry to the Stones to the Beatles to uh, even more complicated Zeppelin and Deep Purple and Yes and, you know, all this crazy stuff. Um, but the main thing is I started out with the Beatles, Stones, Chuck Berry. And um, so when it came time for the Dolls, um, I always, you know, I wasn't a Johnny Thunders fanatic, like, you know, a lot of people that are into that scene. Um, mm-hmm. I was more into, you know, Beck, Page, Hendrix, like, you know, flashy guitar players, right. than, like garage attitude. Uh, but we intersected at Chuck Berry. So I always, when I heard Johnny Thunders the first time, I thought, man, he's just playing Chuck Berry with his amp turned all the way up to 10, you know? And so uh, that's how um, I believe uh, I was able to fit in with the dolls, even though I, I didn't really know a lot of the, the tunes and I wasn't familiar with Thunder's playing in the beginning. Chuck Berry, man, he's the grandfather of, of us all. He is. How did you get introduced to them? Because, I mean, were you playing solo and they picked you up? Because, I mean, you're, you are a singer. Like, you really are a singer. Not like, you're not like a guitar player that sings. You are a singer and you are a guitar player. Like, I, it's, it's a rare and, thing, and if, you know. And, and Thank if you, you watch for getting it, that, by the way, not many people. No, uh, it's important. Like. And if you you watch and you, you and it's like so many different genres. You you also 
dip your toes in a couple different genres of music because the fact you do New York Dolls and then you do your video game stuff like you really are in different spots and I think it's your your plan to with that you have like a New York sound I, I, I don't know what it is maybe there's just something like you're playing like you said you could, each of those are two standalone and then to play and sing is a, a whole other level but to play and sing as well as you do like literally each one is efforts you know to watch you to do it is, is fantastic especially the live clips of you online are, are just Thank you. and I like the way you switch you mean you switch between acoustic and electric it's like the effort it's not even there it's, you know effortlessly well that's what, what I always um, not that I say this very often to people but what I would uh, I used to teach a lot of lessons in like the 80s mm -hmm. um, I haven't done that a lot recently but if I ever teach kids especially kids um, I always wanted to start out on acoustic guitar because that's the way I started out. I mean, if you can start out, you know, playing your cowboy chords, mm -hmm. you can play almost any early Beatles song, Who song, Stone song, Kinks, you know, right up here in the first couple of frets of the guitar. And the main thing, if you can get a groove going, you know, with those chords, I mean, yep. you know, uh, later on people can just hide with a bar chord and a bunch of distortion you know but you can't hide you need some rhythm and some groove and playing acoustic guitar it, dylan you know uh all that folk stuff simon and garfunkel i grew up with that playing that on acoustic guitar first and then i got an electric and it was like i already had the basis you know for rhythm yeah you know, knowing the amount of beats to play before you change chords you know i mean some people if they they're not hip to that man they just it's uh, it's a very honest instrument the acoustic guitar is as honest you as you can't hide you can, it's like a piano you can't like oh yeah piano piano is just scary a piano in a big room with an echo to a lot of people there's nothing scary in the world yeah Except for i mean, shaking, I mean uh, the thing yeah. about a piano though is everyone hits a c and it always sounds the same you know you can't just pick up a guitar no. and hit a c i mean some guys are gonna hit it's gonna go like yeah it's gonna buzz it's gonna you know so like the whole thing about the guitar is the technique of, you know, and not to mention getting the two hands synchronized to where you're picking, you know. Mm -hmm. It's a you lot. Know, it's, it's a lot of shit going on on guitar. Although, you know, I wouldn't want to fuck with piano. I mean, I play enough to, to write, you know, but uh, that is a, a difficult instrument because, you know, there's no patterns. Like on guitars, there's patterns. And you can, there's movable chord forms you can move all over the neck, and there's movable scale forms you can move all over the neck. But on piano, it's every key is a whole different fingering. So, uh, now I've been learning guitar the past couple of years. I just started, so I, it's, it's a whole new world to me. It's, it's been a very exciting new world to, to learn it later in life. So, did you play cool. something else before? I used to or? sing in college, I used to sing before college and just in rock bands, and then went to college for production for recording. And afterwards, they end up switching careers into video and IT and stuff. But later in life, my kids started playing music and stuff. And I was like, you know what? Their guitars were laying around. I picked one up. I'm like, I'm going to start learning guitar. So I got myself I have acoustic. And I, bunch of, I, just, yeah, I started learning and I got a bunch of guitars. The first thing I did, I took it, you know, I bought an extra guitar. I used one and took it apart because I want to know how it worked. It's the first thing you got to do. <laughs> mm -hmm. Took it apart and we put it back together. Not the, not the good one, but another one. And, you know, so it's, 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 that's what I'm saying. I really, the, uh, all the steps in the guitar are pretty pretty crazy to learn. I mean, once you get it, it does have a groove once you get it, but at first there's a lot going on. Well, you know, just to be able to change chords in time, you know, like, I mean, just to go one, two, three, mm -hmm. four, one, 
too. But, but you know, it, that's not easy to do in the beginning, even though for those two chords, there's only two, you know, notes that you change, yeah. two uh, strings. You know, my son, who's 11, you know, he plays a little bit. I've taught him some stuff, but you know, that's the hardest thing to do is to change chords in time. And, and you know, the time is rolling. Oh, yeah. You know, when you're playing, with cards people, are hard especially you got a drummer, you can't go, oh, oh, wait, wait, I got to get my finger to the next chord. You know, no, you know, it's the, the time is, is going and you got to yeah, be with time. So that's why I, I only perform alone. <laughs> in my room on my bed, I'm the best musician well, for out now, ever. For now, I can't but, even do bar chords, man. I can't even do bar chords. Could be the, it's the worst. So, I assume you primarily write acoustically too. I mean, because most songwriters uh, do that. I mean, well, it depends. I mean, I, I got some big riff songs that I've written on electric. Um, you know, I've written on piano. I've written on acoustic. I've written on uh, twelve string. You know, it doesn't matter really. So do you have? I mean, sometimes I like to write on bass, you know, because the thing with bass, like when you play, when you're writing on guitar, mm -hmm. you know that the chord is major or minor, right? Hmm. But if you're writing on a bass, yeah, the only way you can tell what those chords really are, you're playing one note at a time on the bass, is by your melody note. So like if I if I go like, if I hit this note on bass, Nah. It's an E major chord because I'm singing eight. Yeah. E major third, a major third, but you know, you can make it a minor. So it's kind of cool to write on bass because you're filling in all the chords with just your voice and one note on the bass. And that can be challenging and make you write different shit. Yeah, it could be like can a I puzzle. Sure it's like. You can say whatever you want. Yeah. I've heard there's a lot worse on this show. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's like filling in the empty spaces is kind of what you're doing with that. It's really. Uh, yeah, exactly. Different... Exactly. It's just a different way of, you know, and as I just mentioned, I said, I thought to myself, wow, after, after we hang up this call, I'm going to go write one like that because <laughs> it's, been, it's been too long. Do you. I've, I've been is, it, is, like a, is it like a lot of lyric first, melody first, or do you come up with the music first? Um, my worst habit is that I'll get an inspiration for something and I'll record half of it. I'm going to mm -hmm. record what I got and I won't finish it. I'll go, I'll come back to it. And then I got, you know, thousands of half finished ideas that haven't been finished. But, you know, I go back. If I ever hit a dry period in my writing, man, I have like cassettes and piled up to the ceiling and notebooks piled to the ceiling. And in the past 20 years since I've been using the computer, Forget it. Now I got like files. Right. Got, like, uh, you know, my voice memos on my iPhone, my iTunes is full of voice memos and uh, my notes, you know, on, on Apple. Notes. But cassettes, cassettes up brings up a, a fear, though. You better make sure you have a cassette player. Or it's going to be like that episode in um, was it Twilight Zone. You know what oh, I'm talking about? The a, yeah, all the books, the books, and it's oh, yeah. finally alone. He's got the cans of food and a stack of books. He goes to sit down and his glasses break. Well, yeah. Where am I going to go? No, no, your cassette player. You won't have a cassette player. You have a stack of the best for ever, and there'll be no cassette players left around. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's why I was just thinking today about like I finally have been thinking about it for years. I got to digitize all my cassettes. Yeah, but man, that is going to be some job. I mean, I've been putting ideas down on cassettes since I was fifteen. I remember I read an article with Peter Frampton in an interview, mm -hmm. 
uh, it's around the time of Frampton Comes Alive. So was it late 70s, mid 70s, 76 maybe. And uh, he said, yeah, how do I write? Well, uh, I, I record a bunch of little ideas and then, you know, later at the end of the week, I go back and I string all the bits together and make a song out of them. I was like, oh, that's a good idea. So I would start doing that. Every time I had a riff or a chord progression or yeah. an idea, I would put it down on tape. And then uh, I would just forget to go back <laughs> at the end of the week and make a song out of it. So since I'm 15, I got like shitloads of tapes everywhere. But, you know, I have made plenty of songs out of ideas on those tapes. But there's great ideas that I've forgotten all about that are on probably tapes from, you know. The, uh, Did you tell, yeah, you should do tell them. I know Frank Zappi used to cut all the songs together. You have, a, you have a kid. You should make your kid do it for his, his allowance. That'd oh. be a chore. Did you tell him? Get them all set up. Did you tell everything? That's a chore. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. I, I do little things like that with him. Uh, That'd be better than yeah. yard work. I would take that one if I was a kid. I'd be like, digitize over yard work. Sure, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome, man. Um, yeah. But let's talk about some of your solo stuff you've been doing. Or more importantly, like right now during COVID, what have you been doing? Because I see you doing little little, little pieces, you know, pieces and like vignettes and stuff you've been putting up. Um, yeah, I haven't been super active, like. Some musicians I know that are just like out there every night playing this socially distant show and that, you know, online show. And I mean, I've done maybe three or four different festivals. I've been involved with, I submitted, you know, a, a live video myself. I filmed and submitted to the, the festival. And um, I've done some of those things. I've done uh, one workshop a songwriting workshop, which I have another one coming up in May, actually. Um, but mainly I've been writing, uh, I've been mixing and, mixing and mastering a new solo album that's gonna come out. Uh, the first single comes out in May and the album comes out in the fall, September. Um, like I mentioned to you earlier, I, I can't say the label name because uh, I don't have a contract okay. yet but it's no. as good as done. All the artwork has been handed in. It's, it's going. But um, it's a great band. It's Charlie Drayton on drums from Keith Richards' Expensive Linos, Divinals, uh, just a killer groove drummer. My brother John on bass. So it's like rock and roll, Stones, uh, like I'd say like kind of the punky version of the Stones, like early 80s Stones, like Tattoo mm -hmm. You, Emotional Rescue, maybe some girls. Because um, it's got that New York energy to it. So it's not the... I hear that. I hear that. You, you do that really well. I heard you. You do a good cover, actually, the Strolling Stones, uh, Keith Richards tying your cover of Happy. Oh, you like that? All right. Yeah. Dude, I love it because I even like your vocals better. It's such a sin to say that because... Well, because Keith isn't as much of a singer, and and it's it almost sounds always like it's almost like out of key, but almost like on the line, but perfect. But you actually sing it perfectly, or it's right in key, and it's perfect the way it should be. But it doesn't like change the song; like it's still there. Well, I do it down. You know what I'm talking about too that the yeah. new, the nuance of that. You know what I'm talking about too. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, who doesn't love Keith? I mean, I love I love him, but um, you know, he he has a. I, I, his background vocals are untouchable, man. I mean, yep. like the way he sings high over Jagger, you know, mm -hmm. on, on all those records is, is amazing. And, you know, he's a little nasally when he sings lead, you know, like a Dylan kind of thing, but much better singer, you know. I think he was a choir boy when he was a kid, you know. But uh, 
I didn't want to do it in that key. That's a high key. And I kind of like, I actually tuned my guitar down. So key doesn't key B mm-hmm. for all of you out there with a guitar. That would be like here, you know. Oh, you have way too many strings to even be having to do any kind of Keith Richards talk. You need to have like one string on your guitar or something. <laughs> well, uh, but I tuned mine down to. Uh... Can you hear this? Yeah. I tuned it down to a oh, low D. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. And I like made that the main riff instead of, you know. I never I played that. that. I never played that once in the song. Um, I kind of based it off of a live version of the the Winos. I love that band. It's great, I, but I like his vocals though. I do like his vocals. They're just not always in tune. But a lot of my favorite singers are not singers to begin with. Like, of course, right? But you know, so I love like, rock and roll singers. I like messy. I don't want perfect. I like that. But technically, you you really actually do sing it really well. That's not oh, really well. Was my, that was my point. That was a little more. It was exactly. a little more spot on. I, and you know, I, I like both. I mean, I, I love attitude. Yeah. You know, I'm Iggy. Iggy's attitude is oh, fucking great. ridiculous. You know, but uh, but you know, he's nothing like Paul Rogers, who was one of my favorite singers growing up. Mm-hmm. That dude is just fucking spot on, perfect. He, he still is bluesy, ridiculous. You know, perfectly in tune, great feel, great. You know everything, um, but you know you can't get more opposite than Iggy and Paul Rogers. You know? No, yeah. <laughs> you know I mean there's very few rock singers that were like great singers. I mean Bowie to croon, you know, with Bing Crosby. I mean, you know, right. Um, anyway. You really can't. I mean, you get, you get Freddie Mercury. I mean, there's a handful of singers that were just so such so good. You know what I mean? There's a certain point though, you know. Yeah, and I mean, good is subjective too. You know, you might right. say, you might say Johnny Rotten's good. You know, I mean, he certainly had the attitude, but he did have the attitude. Say, would you say he's a great in tune singer? No, no. Not, you know? no but I but think he was a perfect singer for the Sex Pistols, though. Yeah, exactly. That's what they needed, and you know, he, nobody he else could have sang the song. He delivered the message in, in the best way that you could have. You know, that, that's. Can you imagine thing. Paul Rogers? God said the Queen. <laughs> I don't think he would have been allowed in the, in, the, in the shop when they're putting everything together. They would have chased him out of this, the sex shop there. The, it's called sex. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're, Malcolm they're doing it. Yeah. Malcolm shop there with uh, Glenn and um, those guys. Yeah. Pretty funny. I don't know whose voice I just did, but that definitely wasn't Paul Rogers. <laughs> no, God's like the queen. I don't know who that was. Yeah. yeah. Powerful, <laughs> though. Powerful. We got to find him. Give him a contract. <laughs> it was classic rock. Um, so when you were doing your solo stuff, how much of your stuff were you doing before, prior, like recording and stuff? Uh, prior to? Prior to the New York Dolls, because then you were also, at some point, you're still doing solo, I think, on the side, right? And then you started doing some video game stuff, too. Where does everything kind of oh, overlap? So when, I, when, I, when I first moved to New York, um, I had a band called Company of Wolves, and we were signed to Mercury mm-hmm. Hologram in 1990. And uh, we did two records and then I decided uh, well actually we, both my brother and I decided we wanted to do our own thing we were in the band together with the singer Keith Brewer and Keith decided he wanted to do his own thing so it was you know amicable split we split the band up he did his solo thing we did our band we had a band called the Crown Jewels and we did um, 
two or three indie albums, like, you know, on our own label and everything um, mm -hmm. in the early 90s. And um, that's when I started, like, you know, recording solo of indie, anyway. And, um, and then I started, like, getting called from, like, Billy Squire and Peter Wolf and all these people that, like, play with them, playing the records, and Willie DeVille, and I got toured with him. And then, you know, my name just started getting passed around in New York, um, which is a good thing. Um, when yeah, I those came are some here, good I was like, you know, I, I, I had nothing. You know, I would, I would take a, one subway token that was like 75 cents back then and in the late 80s, early 90s. And I would mm -hmm. go downtown with a backpack full of um, cassette tapes that I burned off in my house of like my, my demos, you know, and I'd bring mm -hmm. them to every studio. I'd just go downtown on one token and I'd walk back up and just like hand out the tapes everywhere and nobody called, you know? And then, uh, you know, just the way it happens, one day, you know, somebody can't get their favorite guy and they go, oh, who's this tape, you know? Or, hey, can you think of somebody? And somebody else in the room mentions my name and, you know, and that, that's the way it happens. So I, then I started getting calls to do like studio work like that. And that's when I, um, I got passed uh, to Yoko Kano the Japanese composer I did all those video games for um, anime series. Cowboy Bebop is a real popular one. It's on um, yeah. Adult Swim or whatever. That's where it used to be. Um, I think they were actually making a movie, like a live action movie now. Of it. Um, yeah, so I started doing all that kind of studio work and, you know, I still, I didn't read. I was like a rock guy, you know. Um, but uh, that that lasted for a while. And then, you know, like the same way that my name started getting passed around with that, I guess Johansson was asking around uh, who, who should he call? He's going to put the dolls back together. And all the people that he asked uh, said, just call Conti. He's the guy. So he called me and, uh, you know, it's one of those things where, you, you know, when you first come to town, you're like, God, there's all these guys and they're working, they're doing all these great things. How do I how do I get into those cliques and those circles? And it's just like, be good, be dependable, you know, show up, don't be a fuck up, you know. Yeah, that's true. And, and you know, and have the talent. When, when they when they knock on the door, man, you gotta deliver. Ruin deliver. You know, so. I, that's the one tenant I've heard in the show. Everyone says, you know, it's not the days of rock and roll. I mean, crazy when they're passing out. Literally, how do you work? You're reliable. You're kind. You follow through. You're hardworking. You're dedicated. Those are the things. Yeah, but back in the day, you know, like it was, well, in bands anyway, you could be a fuck up in a band and the rest of the guys would carry you if you were the junkie or the, you know, the, the drunk, you know, or if a band full of drunks, you know, your manager Last would corral you into, you know, nobody's going to deal with that shit these days, you know? Nope. No one wants it. No one, you know, the different, it's a different animal. Um, so Actually, so it's surprising. So, you Billy Squire? You actually work with him a little bit? Yeah, I did an album. Uh, I did his last Capitol album. It's called Tell the Truth. Really okay. good one. But yeah. nobody ever heard it. There was no singles. The label, pretty much, it was like a contractual obligation album for him, I guess. But uh, we did it with Mike Chapman, mm -hmm. uh, who's an amazing, you know, legendary producer. He produced all the, like, The Sweet and Susie Quattro and all that. I actually did a Susie Quattro record with him after. Um, did you? But uh, it was Kevin Shirley, who's a monster engineer and producer yep. now. Um, 
does every quite a quite a, quite a team. Well, it says a lot. If Squire wanted you to play guitar for him when he's a guitar, yeah, a guitar, yeah, because Billy's he's my guitar player himself. Billy's, you know, Billy's a great guitar player. So yes, you know, he's a good songwriter. Uh, yeah, and he had heard our second Company Wolves album. Uh, the producer Gary Lyons, English guy, had um, done our record and was getting together with Billy. I guess talking to him about doing mm-hmm. his record, and Gary played him our thing and. And Billy was like, who are these guys? I got to call them. So he called me and, uh, and Keith, the singer. And we arranged all the background vocals on that record and sang all the background vocals. And I played guitar on two, yeah, like two songs. There was a bunch of different lineups or bands. He had his own band with Bobby Chouinard on drums. And then he had like the new guys were like the Rod Stewart band, Dave Palmer on drums. And, and then he had uh, this team that I was with was Tony James. I don't know if you know who he is. Lonnie Hillier. Um, yeah, it was a, a funky band. It's crazy. I mean, he was super talented too. With that, they, I don't know what happened to him, man. They, they killed him with that, that video. That was the worst yeah, back in the well, day. But then he came out with a nice acoustic record and then he's done a couple of... Uh, he's been doing like some acoustic tours with G.E. Smith. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've heard it's a line stuff, but I'm like, and, and uh, I'd like to see that. He's he's a, he's a monster. I was like, you know, he was like, he was just a monster. It's like he faded out so fast. They like, they kind of blocked him out fast. It was kind of sucked. He was too good. But so yeah, you played with a lot of really good people. So what about so you're playing with Deville Willie? So that's well, pretty cool. That was, that was uh, the best and worst gig of my life. You know, and I'll be honest with you, I I, got, I came into this end of music like like you. I was born to Beck and Zeppelin and stuff, and Sabbath growing up. So Thunders and a lot of this other stuff was a later in life stuff. So I didn't have the whole backstory of everything. Mm-hmm. So, so, uh, so yeah, so Willie was a, an interesting character. Uh, huh. Oh, good. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> interesting. That's a good choice of words. Like um, it's safe. Well, look, uh, <laughs> um, I have a, I have total respect for the guy's talent and, if it wasn't for him, I would not have the life that I have right now because I met my wife on that tour and we now, we've been together 15 awesome. years, have two beautiful children, you know what I mean? None of that would have happened if I wasn't with Willie, so thank you. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, when I was with him, it was a hard period in his life. He had uh, he had been in a car accident and he was not, he was not well, you know. That's the West was white right? wife. He dealt his wife's suicide, and I think he's heroin. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a hard. It's a hard. You can read all that shit online. Oh yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not telling anything that nobody knows here. But yeah, yeah. He had a. He had some rough, some rough years, and you know, he was. I'm actually saying for empathy. He was. He had. He had some tough things he was dealing with. So yeah, I could imagine. Yeah, so it was uh, it was not an easy gig. He wasn't feeling well the whole time. He was pretty cranky. But um, I got to play the great cities of Europe, um, you know, travel with these guys in first class, first class hotels, restaurants, every, you know, seeing Italy that way. And really? And, yeah, it was, it was amazing. We did Switzerland. We did Belgium, Holland. I met my wife. She's Dutch, and uh, well, that, that might be it. 
but um, yeah, it was the summer of 2003. And then uh, he called me for the next summer and uh, I was already with the dolls by then. Uh. So Hanson had called in like maybe early, like February or something. And then Willie called me in May. I was like, sorry, man, I'm, I'm already doing this gig in London, uh, Royal Festival Hall. And uh, yeah, then Willie passed in 2009. But uh, yeah, I didn't get to see him much after we got off the road, but we hung out a couple times. Did you? Maybe like afterwards. You've had some um, some greats that were close to you pass away, huh? You've kind of uh, lucky enough. You were lucky enough to to at least experience them. I mean, right? Been a rough year. Well, I mean, yeah, Arthur Kane. I, I wouldn't oh. say we were close, but that was like one of the you know saddest things. I mean, he'd waited all those years to get his band back together, and then I know and we do one New York Dolls gig, and that's it, or two shows actually, Royal Festival Hall, and then. Uh, yeah but you know in a way it was kind of beautiful that his disease his leukemia just mm -hmm. uh stayed away long enough for him to you know fulfill his dream well yeah i mean it would have been worse if it didn't so i mean yeah exactly. i saw the documentaries it was a, it's powerful man it's oh powerful. yeah yeah new york Dolls. Oh, oh yeah that was a crazy <laughs> when we were that was being made around the time that we were having the reunion rehearsals yeah and, um so you were new yeah, well, I had never met these guys before, and you see... You still have that new guitar player smell on you, that whole new fresh car smell. Brand new, right? <laughs> you see Sylvain in a, in a documentary going, yeah, and these guys, you know, they come in, and, and you know, we, don't, we never met them before, and they're in our band, and they know our songs better than us. <laughs> like, oh, shit, I didn't want to be that guy, you know? But uh, it, that was amazing. And, and the filmmakers were following Arthur around, and, and they were all Mormon. Arthur was Mormon. Yep. Probably knew from that film. And, uh, you know, he was like, I, I can't have any fun. You know, I can't talk to women. I can't drink. I can't smoke. So we, like, we ditched the guys and we, we like, went around the corner to the hotel we were staying, the Gershwin Hotel <laughs> on, on the, uh, up, uh, Park Avenue. And um, we went up into the room and smoked a joint, hiding out <laughs> from the Mormon guys, you know. Good. It, it felt sad. It felt sad. The, his little path that he was so focused on there it felt kind of like boring. It felt, so got, it felt kind of boring there. The poor guy at the end, the whole, his whole Mormon life, just, it just felt so boring going oh. from that. And, and then you felt it was exciting. Oh, yeah. he, the dolls oh. and then being like so straight. I'm, I'm glad you guys stuck off because it just felt like, oh. <laughs> well, I, I don't think uh, he had to go back to regular life after that. I think, uh, you know, after we did the reunion shows, he um, he wasn't alive more than a month after that. He was probably, you know, just riding the crest of that wave in his in his mind. He went home. He felt sick. They thought he had the flu. He had a, a gig the next month with Morrissey in uh, Manchester at a soccer stadium. And uh, his doctors forbid him to fly. They said, uh, you know, your flu is, is too, too bad to fly with. You have to stay home. So I got my brother to like learn the set on bass mm -hmm. in like two days. And he came and we did that show. And then uh, a week later, I'm home. I'm mixing the, the uh, live DVD with Kevin Shirley. And we get the call that Arthur passed away from leukemia. We're like, leukemia? We thought it was a flu. They diagnosed him with leukemia 
and the same later the same day he went. That is just crazy, man. Yeah. And uh, yeah, but uh, more recently, of course, Sylvain. Um, That's really tough for me because, yeah, I mean, I'd only known Arthur a couple of months, but you know, I worked with Syl for six years in the Dolls, and then in the ten years since I've been out of the Dolls, we uh, wrote together, we hung out together. He played on my record, he sang on my record, my solo record, Steve Jack NYC. Um, then we played a, we did a little tour of Japan as the dolls without David, it was just Syl and Sammy and me and drummer from the helicopters, love band. And um, that was really fun. But, um, well, we were in touch. He would, you know, never forget a, a birthday or my kids, you know, send clothes for my kids. And you know, he was just an amazing guy. Yeah, really, uh, sorry, I'm turning my alarm. No, no, no. Um, yeah, just he was one of those guys where you, when you meet him the first time, for me anyway, because he reminded me of so many people that I grew up with. Um, I felt like I'd known him my whole life. I was like, oh God, he's like part this guy and part that guy, you know? And uh, it, it was just like, and we had this whole other connection because his. The first drummer in the Dolls, Billy Mercia, mm -hmm. um, he died before the, the Dolls could really take off. And then Jerry Nolan came in and replaced him. But uh, his family had moved to my town where I was growing up in New Jersey. And um, so the Mercia family moved in and, and Billy's brother used to chase after me and go, hey man, you look like Johnny Thunders. Who? I, mean, I was a kid, I was like 15, 16. I, was like, I don't know who Johnny Thunder is, and he was older. His, his brother, Billy's brother, Alphonse Mercia, he would bring all the records over to my house. He brought Criminals, he brought Heartbreakers, he brought Dolls, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, as a kid. And but I was still into my Hendrix and my Beck and my Zeppelin and you know, fancy guitar players. So yeah. it, it didn't hit me yet, but you know, I was aware of it. So when that call came in, twenty years you later. <laughs> I was ready. That's funny. But uh, yeah, I'm going to miss Phil. We had a really nice benefit for him, uh, memorial rather, uh, online. Happened on Rolling Stone Live. Uh, so many great performers and great stories about Phil. I did a nice little medley of uh, a Lynette song that we used mm -hmm. to jam on at, at Doll Soundchecks. We used to do Walking in the Rain. Yeah, and then uh, and then so I remember one time after we ended, we ended the the, the song. So just kept playing that riff over and over. It just it wasn't the actual riff from Walking in the Rain. But it was like his version of it. And like that's the song right there. And that ended up becoming "Take a Good Look at My Good Looks," which is on the the Pink um, first Dolls album back. Um, one day it will please us. Mm -hmm. So I did a medley of those two songs, the Renette song and the song that it inspired from the Dolls album, the first Dolls album that I did with them. 
2006. That's nice. That's, I mean, that's really yeah, And they work together perfectly, of course, because they're the same key, same tempo, because one came right out of the other one, how it was written. And uh, yeah, so everything. Else. So I, I think it's really telling about him. Obviously, I, I, I didn't know him. But with social media, the monster that it is, when you see the older guard of rockers, punkers, legacy, whatever you want to call them, they've earned their way up in rock. When they post something, they don't ever, they don't even see them post anything ever. And you see a heartfelt message from somebody that barely ever goes online. You know, that person touched them. And, and, and with him, I've seen posts from people that you don't usually hear from are, are saying things. You know what I mean? So it, it carries a stronger, you know, message, I think. Well, uh, he I, was. Think, I think his influence went, uh, went, oh, Huge. Look messy. Look how messy my room looks back here. I'm sorry. Sorry, folks. <laughs> I, I have all these boxes because I'm, I'm selling a bunch of equipment. And, you know, you don't want to be caught without a box when eBay calls and says, ship this out tomorrow. So, uh, yeah, I'm selling a bunch of my old studio gear because, like, now my studio gear is, is this. Uh, I don't know if you can see this. Um, like a small, like a module. Oh yeah, yeah. That's everything. Yeah, you know, that's my interface, and so I have all this rack gear, you know, like these digital delays and like crazy stuff that uh, I'm just never gonna. But we'll put your we'll put your eBay page, yeah, your eBay, all your eBay stuff. We'll put underneath too, so if people are interested. Well, you know, it's easy to find me. Hey, I'm on all those, hey, sites, you know, SoundCloud and. We'll put all your links underneath here because Reverb and eBay and Twitter and even what's that other one I never go to. It's, just connect, it's connected to one of my accounts. Uh, not uh, LinkedIn, of course. But yep. the, what's the other? Tumblr. Oh. Tumblr. It's, it's almost like MySpace now. It is. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, so. Yeah, kind of missed that guy. <laughs> We, we had some great times and uh, we will uh, I have a feeling there's going to be some songs that will surface some unheard well, songs uh, oh you know I can imagine it's got to have a lot inside of you I mean good and bad to the ears it's going to take a while to process it you know yeah. it, especially this is a weird time to process it because this doesn't feel real right now like yeah, I mean, besides... It's like the worst weekend ever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, 2021 is not turning out to be so much better than 2020. I mean, I lost so many musician friends and personal friends and family. and Not necessarily to COVID. I mean, some just somebody to cancer. Yes, cancer's been awful this, lately. Yeah, it's been kicking ass, man. Um, but, you know, this past year has been brutal. You know, for... For our community, hmm. yeah. I wonder um, if part just, is not just anything. deaths of people, but you know, of course, the deaths of the venues and and the you know, forget we'll it, see what the music there. studios and the recording studios and the rehearsal studios and the dancers and the lighting companies and the touring companies. You know, I mean, there's just no, I don't, man, I don't know how how it comes back, but I mean, it has to. But. I don't know. It'd be interesting. I think it's going to come back. I don't know how. I think it's going to be weird. I, you know, I said this before. It's going to be weird. I think the the when you tour, the clubs are going to need to make up money. You know, what I mean, there's going to be there's going to be cleaning costs. There's going to be all kinds of weird costs. Like, you know, what I mean, 
so the bands and the and the, and the clubs are going to have to work together because each everyone's going to be scrapping for money coming out, <laughs> and there's going to be new charges. So, you know, it, something's got to work out in the middle so everyone can survive. Well, there's a, a lot of uh, well, not a lot, but I heard today some governor, but it was some assemblyman or congressman from New York State talking about or the city rather probably uh, talking about you know funds that were you know being allocated to save venues and, and mm-hmm. some of these places back on their feet and sort of comparing what they made in 2019 with yep. what they compared in 2020 and then you know gifting them or, or loaning them you know the money to get to get back to where they were so it's good I, I've heard that too I actually saw, I've signed a, a, a big thing for my for Connecticut and it, that it passed too so supposedly you know, the kind of thing that says, you know, if you sign up for it, obviously it comes back. It says, oh, the petition you signed passed and it's going to support the venues. But we'll see. When all, when all gets sold out, we'll see what happens, really happens with money. Yeah. Yeah, I'm hopeful, but I don't know, man. Yeah. In the meantime, you know, I'm hoping to get my second vaccination soon. But, you know, that doesn't mean I'm going to um, jump out there and start playing. I have asthma, so I, I was able to get my. Uh, okay early but, I heard the second um, one's kind of hard too some people have gotten the second one and it's kind of like having the flu some people have gotten it, their butt kicks their butt well I got the Pfizer so let's see uh, I, yeah, I don't know which one it had but I had a, I had a co-worker that had it done and it was pretty rough but anyway the thing is you know even even when you're vaccinated you're not just going to be like all right let's go let's uh you know I mean I'm still going to mask up I'm still going to distance mm-hmm. and I'm I'm not going to go in a club and play with a bunch of people, you know, until everyone, you know, till the world opens up, you know, because people have called and said, Hey man, can you come and play this gig? You know, you'll, it's a solo gig, but you'll be inside and the audience will be outside. I'm like, as long as there's, you know, people in the room, I, I don't mm-hmm. feel, I don't want to be greater than anyone's there, you know? No, I understand that. I think there's less artists that are playing out. You know, there's a few that are breaking ground because they need to tour. They have families. Their their crew needs to tour. You know, someone's got to come out there and, and and start to lay down the line a little bit too. Everyone can't do it, and I think it's got to do some. You know, it's got to start somewhere. Yeah. So if, if some people are able to do it, start laying out the safety protocol to start to start it. You know, it's good. I don't think a lot of bands can do it or should do well, it. I think in the summer, it's going to be, hopefully, um, I play with Michael Monroe and we, you know, it's been 10 years. We've been playing festivals in Finland every summer and um, we have a schedule so far, but we don't know what's going to stay and what's going to get canceled. We've had some, some dates for 2021 canceled already. They rescheduled from 2020 and then they canceled already. But I hope, you know, outdoor festivals in the summer, I mean, we'll be fine on stage. We'll be able to distance plenty because it's yeah. big stages. But, you know, as for the audience, even though it's outside, they're packed in pretty tight there in festivals, you know, shoulder to shoulder. So we'll, we'll see uh, going to be what the Finnish government's going to say about those festivals. Really, you went around. Actually, bring up actually Michael Monroe. I mean, the fact that the two... So and also you go also played for a while with Sam. So you two guys from Toy Rocks, another legendary. I mean, you just like, 
Oh, we've had nasty hey, suicide on stage too. So I've had oh my three, god three fifths of Hanoi Rocks with uh, yeah with our. I've loved Hanoi Rocks since the eighties. So like I've been a huge fan, and then followed Michael's work all the way up through. So pleasantly surprised that you've been playing with them too. I was like, I didn't even know that. Like the, the two together, I didn't even know. Yeah, since two thousand and ten, it was right right out of the dolls. Me and Sammy uh, went to Michael's. I mean, That's awesome. Sammy obviously has the history with him, and, and he well, yeah, he pulled me in. He's awesome. He still sounds so good too. Oh, okay. he sounds so good. Like he, yeah. I hope I hope he comes uh, plays around here at some point too. I'd like to I'd like to actually see him. I've I've never seen him. Play. Oh, Michael, you mean? Yeah, I've never got well, to see him play. You know, hold on. It's, it's very annoying. I'm gonna shut my mail program because it keeps popping up. Um. The last couple of times we toured the U.S., it's just been like diminishing returns, you know, mm-hmm. because, you know, like with the dolls, you play the coasts, you know, the New York's, the L.A., Seattle, Boston, you know, even down in Florida, down in California. But then, you know, Nebraska, it's a big country to get across in a tour bus. <laughs> and, you know, you got your Dakotas and your Nebraskas and your, um, I mean, Wisconsin. It works. It works about up till you get to Milwaukee, and then you got to start going south. And then you, then you're going a long way before there's another place to play. I think we went from Milwaukee to Denver. Oh, like you know, it was like a two day, like brutal, like bus ride with no gigs in between. That was the dolls. But um, what was that, Michael? I don't know. But, well, the, the rock is but, not very America's not very forgiven for a lot of rock bands, and and, and it's ridiculous. And I mean, and, and Michael. Well, but especially generation. especially these kind of bands like the Dolls and Michael, who were like yeah. you know, cult, you know, garage yeah. punk, glam, whatever, you know, not Journey or you know Jovi or Foreigner, you know, like all American radio, classic rock, whatever, corporate, um, you know. I don't think middle America, you know, you'll have your pockets, of course, like Chicago, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I mean, I'm sure there are fans out there. I'm certainly not meaning to offend any of them, but, uh, you know, if there's six fans in one town, that's not enough for us to go play there, you know. It doesn't matter. Even if there are fans, they still have to show up. Yeah, there could be, be 500 the... fans. If they don't show up, they're like, I love them. But if you don't go to the concert when they're in town, it doesn't really help out anything. Well, you know, you, you kind of, I don't do the work, but I'm sure there's somebody out there who's, you know, like the agencies, the, the booking agencies are probably doing their, you know, searches and finding out how many potential fans are in which cities, you know, and if it's worth it to go there, you know, based on whatever sales or airplay or who knows. But um so yeah, it's it's been tough the past couple oh, times that we've played here. So you know we had we did a killer across. We traveled from, I think we played Vegas, and then with Michael, and we traveled three days across the country to get to the Sellersville Theater in Pennsylvania, and um, it literally no three days with no gigs across the U.S. and we were late for the gig. We got there at like, we were supposed to go on at nine. We got there like 1130. Half the people had gone home. We, <laughs> we had to like pay the union guys to stay extra, but we played the show. So it was great. Like the, 
the people that remained got a great show out of it. Got but, a good uh, show. Yeah, but we had to pay like the union guys extra to, to stay around past. Like we started the show at like 1230, you know, a.m. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that's that's what happens when you tour the U.S. There's so much space in between such a big country. And, well, I, and I know it's hard, too. For, for know, Wyoming, where the fuck are we going to play? You know, Montana. Well, not only that, coming into the country, you know, I know Michael's got to pay a visa. And then anything he yeah. makes in the country, he gets taxed on everything he does here. On top of paying to get in the country, it's, to, to right. be uh, from yeah, another yeah, country, yeah, to come into the U.S., you get like triple screwed coming into the country to, to yeah. be a musician. I've had long topics on my show about this, about some of the bands and the visas. It's, 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 it's insane. Yeah. It's insane. Uh, I'm, yeah, that's why I'm bummed out about the Brexit thing because, uh, yeah. you know, I, for a while there, I wasn't having to pay um, to get into the UK because mm-hmm. I'm also European. But uh, now, I'm gonna, now that Brexit's happening, I'm going to have to. I don't know if I'll tour England again. Maybe I'll just do it solo or something. Yeah, it's gonna be yeah. weird over there. Because yeah, they, they I, be... I used to bring my Dutch band to England, and um, yeah, I was living in Holland for a while, where my wife is from, and um, we would get on the ferry in Calais, France, and go and tour in England for a week or two, and come back. And um, but you know, we all had uh, Dutch nationality, so we could. You know, it was EU, and England now has mm-hmm. gone uh, Brexit on us, so. Now all of us will have to pay to get back in. It's going to be hard on touring. If, if, if all the countries now close down, it's like the United States. It's like having a pay to get from each state in the United States across. You know what I mean? What a nightmare. Oh, yeah. I don't know how that's going to pan oh. out by the time the COVID is over. And I'm, I'm hearing rumblings of, you know, some, some new provisions for musicians. There's, there's a, there's a group, like a, right? Too, right? What is it? Like a, it's like an advocacy group of the musicians are trying yeah, to get some... I, I've heard uh, about that, but I'm, I'm not sure enough to talk about it really, but hopefully something like that will happen where, you know, they can keep their Brexit deal or whatever, but just let artists come in and out of the country and, you know... Yeah, I don't know much about people of people of culture, you know. I heard a smattering of it from uh, Glenn Malik when I was talking to him about, you know, what was going on, the nightmare that he was watching it happen in front of him. Yeah. It was rough, man. Yeah, certainly most English musicians aren't happy about that. So. A rough year for everybody. Yeah. It is just crazy. So moving forward, let's end on a high note here. What are you looking at? So you're going to master your album. Your album's just pretty much done. You're going to hold off until you can tour. What are you going to do? You're going to do some videos while you're waiting. Yeah. The um, So the first single from my new album called, I'm not even going to tell you that yet. I'll tell you when I you know to, yeah, we, when I you have, have one we can do a special. We'll have you come back when you announce it to everybody. We'll promote it in this show too. Also, we'll okay. do a separate thing. Okay, deal, deal. I promise. Yeah, when when I can announce the uh, the label, no and everything, I will announce. No problem. Um, and we'll even be able to play a song, maybe. But sure. um, that single comes out in late May, May twenty first, and then uh, the album in the fall. But uh, yeah, right now it's finishing being mastered. The single's been mastered, obviously. It's uh, in production already. Um, the rest of the album um, will, should be done any day now. And then, uh, yeah, I'll do some videos while I'm waiting because obviously I can't even play right. a, a one-off record release party now. I wanted to wait until you know I could actually play a record release party, mm-hmm. but 
you know, who knows how long I'll be waiting for that. I, the record's got to come out. So, so we'll put it out and um, hopefully, you know, I usually go and do the festivals with Michael over the summer. Hopefully by the time I come back in the fall, New York will be back and I'll be able to do at least a record release party. Yeah. Hopefully. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Wild. I mean, a lot, a, lot, a lot of bands have held off and some bands have released it. They're like, no, this is a good time to do it. Like, everyone has a different opinion on it. That's why. Well, you know, people are starved for, for new stuff now too. So. Um, yeah. I mean, it, the one thought it's like, well, if I don't do it, I can't promote it. But then the other thing is there's going to be a lot of artists that are holding it off and the market might be flooded. Well, so this yeah. might be the time to get your music out so people hear it. <laughs> so I mean, there's a lot of different ways to look at keep, it, or just keep writing, keep writing, keep, keep recording, music. man. You know, like I'm you gonna got cassettes. On, I'm gonna start on my new one now. I'm, yeah. I'm, you know, working on my next thing already. So I love that. That's what you do. You're, you're a songwriter. You write. Yeah, and I could, you know, I could record an acoustic album certainly right here in this room, you know. But um, I'll probably do something with drums. I have another space in uh, in Manhattan where I can do drums and loud amps too but this is my little my little man cave you know anywhere to play is good anywhere to play well I want to thank you man it's been awesome I'm glad you came on oh thank you Sean it's been fun, it. fun to talk to you and have you on the show so well, I will... anytime when, when the new album is out if you want to chat again yeah definitely yeah. Let me know. yeah I will I want to thank you for being on the show man thank you my pleasure okay. take care Yep. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. See you on the web. You can visit me, uh, steveconti.com. C O N T E. Don't put that I there. <laughs>